We are entering a new age, an age demanding greater collaboration, enhanced creativity, heightened agility. Welcome to Agile and Beyond, a podcast for agile enthusiasts, design thinkers, team builders, and organization designers. With practitioners and thinkers, we explore the future of work, the evolutions in leadership mindset, and the revolutions in the human-centered innovation around experience and purpose. I am Dan Feldman, the host of Agile and Beyond. Several weeks ago, I interviewed Rose Fan and Molly Dishman of ThoughtWorks. ThoughtWorks is a global IT consultancy firm, a community of passionate individuals whose purpose it is to revolutionize software design, creation, and delivery while advocating for positive social change. In part three of this three-part conversation, we discussed the importance of EQ in managing change, the openness of organizations to operate in new ways, the importance of vanguards, improving compensation systems, work-life balance, parental leave policies in different cultures, measuring employment engagement, and what gets Rose and Molly excited about the future. To see the show notes for this conversation, please visit the site agileandbeyond.co. And without further ado, welcome to my conversation with Rose Fan and Molly Dishman. Rose, I asked this question yesterday to Molly. Tell me, what drives you the most nuts? <laughs> I think it goes back to, I think the thing that grinds my gears is, is back to that idea of always chasing the shiniest thing in tech. Um, and there's almost this, there's, uh, my, my ex, my good friend Scott wrote an article about this recently around like the condensation or, uh, culture or the condescending culture, not condensation, <laughs> condescending culture in tech around that's rubbish. That code sucks. That language is old. That, um, architecture is deprecated. I think language and um, attitudes like that are really detrimental and they make, they create this false like security or security complex within our industry. Um, yeah. I find it really strange and I haven't seen it much elsewhere beyond tech, but for whatever reason, it's really pervasive here. Uh, so this idea of like, this is in, that's out and, buying into that culture and looking up to the gurus who are constantly kind of like slamming other languages or frameworks that, Hey, have worked well and are still the basis for a lot of working production code. Um, that's what gets on, gets on my nerves. So, and I look, you know, for opportunities to identify when I'm feeling negative about something else too. If I'm as consultants, people will often ask me, what's the best practice? And it's very easy to say, well, don't do this that's old. And I have to almost catch myself and be like, no, that's not the way of thinking about it. Let's talk about what you're actually trying to achieve and which, you know, frameworks or practices or techniques will help you with that. And I really don't believe in this idea of there's this good stuff here in this area. And then there's a bad stuff there. Hmm. And 
and we get, um, I wouldn't say dinged, but uh, a lot of times people find that frustrating when we don't have just one answer of this is the this is the best thing, this is the only thing that you can do because there, uh, a lot of times consultants will say it, it depends, and it does. Uh, it's not that we don't have an opinion um, or there's something that's better uh, for your situation, but there's not a black and white. Uh, Molly, why do you think emotional intelligence is so critical in times of disruptive change? Well, I take that question in a lot of different ways, I guess. Um, I think uh, it kind of goes back to what I was just saying of understanding some of the reasons behind the change um, and and the factors that are influencing change. And um, emotional intelligence helps with a lot of the understanding and and being empathetic to uh, why something is happening. so I think it's really critical to be able to look at it from a lens that's not necessarily your own. So if you're looking at, um, if we go back to what we were just talking about around um, disruption in the industry and how people work, um, if if um, if large enterprises can't, um, if they don't have someone that can relate to why people want to see cultural changes, um, it's going to be really hard for them to to change. Uh, or if they can't relate to why customers um, need them to be to be able to respond faster or um, change how they're interacting with them, um, it'll be different. It'll be difficult for them to uh, kind of weather the storm. Do you have any thoughts on that, Rose? Yeah, I think it it comes down to still fundamentally people, right? Like we're we still work with each other as people, and so being able to read each other's between the lines, understand where people are coming from, incentives, um, people who have an upper leg there and whose organizations value uh, a culture of high empathy, high EQ for others is, I think they're going to end up being the places where you want to be. Especially tying back to things like diversity and inclusivity. Um, Organizations which prioritized EQ and, and do training, you know, and offer resources. They, they don't just say have high EQ, but we will help you grow your skill set in this area. Um, and, and then, you know, make you into a more rounded person. I think programs like that, a lot of organizations would benefit from. How many uh, and we do actually answer? quite a bit of that. That works internally. We have, you know, training around unconscious biases and, maybe privileges or even things that we're just not aware of that many of us have had um, and have been lucky enough to have. And it's like, how do you, how do you think about putting yourself in the other person's shoes? How do you think about the words and the language and the tone that you're using? Um, try to make that as inclusive uh, as possible. And of course that's also handy for being a consultant and having to make a first impression. Yeah, I, I would imagine so. Yeah. Interesting. That's uh Nice that they provide some of that training. Have you found any of the, your clients uh, forward thinking in that area? With um, repart- I've been garbage pleasantly surprised training. at times, and then also like unpleasantly disappointed in others. Uh, sometimes you think you're going to like this really progressive company. Uh, you know, they seem really cool. They're in the news for all the right reasons, and you find that the leadership there is like pretty backwards thinking and. 
I've been on experiences where, um, you know, the developers on the team who are women have had things said to them or that are just unacceptable or a team outing might be, let's go check out the strip club down the street. And it's like, no, let's not. You know? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> um, other times we've been, uh, you know, I worked for a large oil and gas services organization and I was like, Oh boy, like this is going to be the gentleman's club and brace yourself for, you know, the, the stuff that's going to be said. And it actually turned out not to be the case at all. The people there were very respectful, very, um, sort of aware, uh, and wanting to be inclusive. So can't judge a book by its cover. And overall, I've seen a lot of our clients, if they're not, um, what I would say progressive internally, they are open to, um, learning and understanding more and, and talking to us about, uh, some of the things that we do, um, in order to incorporate it in their culture. Um, sometimes it's less that they don't want to do it. They just either didn't think of it or they don't know how they want some ideas. Um, yeah. So I think sometimes it's about, sometimes we bring that, those ideas to our, our clients as well. Interesting. I think Rose, were you mentioning yesterday, uh, something about that, uh, a lot of the engagement that you have with a, a client in, in order to get traction, it's about finding people within the organization who are open to new ideas and then sort of working with them. And it, it is absolutely. There, yeah. It's, um, is you that know, related, I guess. With, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying, is that related to this? I could imagine a situation where there are going to be certain people in the organization that are going to be very open and hungry for some new ideas. And, but they're in an organization, they're in a culture that's kind of restrictive in this way, or is not thinking as they are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that the personality and the values of that client sponsor who brings us on and who we're forming that relationship with is hugely important to the success, um, or lack thereof of the engagement. And there are some times when, you know, we'll come in and people on the client will feel really threatened. And, and sometimes they have a reason to be because honestly, we are looking at assessing skill sets and capabilities and we're asked to give some honest feedback about, you know, these are the capabilities you need to be building or thinking about as your organization moves forward. Um, and so, you know, we do meet people who are really resistant. We meet people who are cautious and not really sure what we're about. We meet some people who are like, Oh my gosh, I've loved ThoughtWorks forever. I'm so glad you're here. Like save us. <laughs> and it's funny because what we end up doing is, it's not any of those extremes. Uh, the most success I see is just forming relationships with our clients and seeing them as people. And it's not a us versus you. It's not, we know better or we know more. Um, it's, it's spending time with them outside of work. It's getting to know their families. It's getting to know their communities. Uh, that's where we're really able to be the most effective. And yes, starting with the individuals who, might be a little bit more aligned with the recommendations we're making or the thinking that we're bringing. Um, that certainly helps, but the end goal is to get as many people on board as possible, not just to cherry pick the ones who already think the same way we are. Um, and that's really hard. It's kind of like the, <laughs> the thing about, you know, posting your political views to your social media group, which is already an echo chamber. And yes, we all agree with your values and no one really wants to have that tough conversation with, 
maybe a family member who's on the other side of the spectrum. And that's a lot harder, right? If, if not impossible to change that mindset. And yet that's a lot of what we have to end up doing only with technology and not politics, hopefully. Yeah. It goes back to your original question of, uh, is EQ important in a disruptive change? Uh, usually if we're helping them with how they, how they work, how, how their organization is set up, uh, we'll find people that are not receptive to that change. And that definitely requires, um, that EQ factor. Well, I'm guessing there's a lot of fear. Rose, you were talking about people fearing losing their jobs and, and this, this EQ factor kind of, it works within a realm, but there's always that essential fear there. And I, I think one of the aspects here that has become very big with AI and automation is that with technology, both AI and automation already producing more with less people, what do you think, I'll start with you, Molly, should enterprises and society do with the people who are no longer valued by the economy? That's a, that's a big question, right? Um, I think, uh, one of, some of the things we're seeing is new jobs emerging, but that doesn't mean that the skill sets match up to those new jobs. Um, so, uh, while there's a lot of AI, there's still, um, we're seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of businesses embrace the fact that technology needs to be core, a core part of their business. Um, and a lot of say brick and mortar stores 10 years ago, 20 years ago, didn't see that as a core, core part. So there's a lot of, this is, this is just an example. It's a lot of software jobs out there and, and not the talent to fill them. Um, so you're seeing things like the, uh, startup boot camps, dev boot camps, stuff like that. Um, trying to help, upskill people. Um, so that, that's one way that people can help, um, kind of work, um, and minimize the skill set gaps of the people that are not valued as much anymore, um, with where, where, uh, our culture and economy is going. Um, I imagine we'll see more of those. Um, but we might also see things like, how work, uh, and how, um, how we, what, what work means, I guess, in the future. Yeah. I would love to see us get to the point where we're all just working like 20 or 10 hour work days. <laughs> well, that was a promise. That was a promise back, you know, like almost a hundred years ago. That was the promise that automation would allow us to work less, but it doesn't mm-hmm. seem to have, uh, benefited the workers. No, if anything, it's probably widened the gap between those who have the knowledge and the ability to get a nice, high-paying job in engineering and those whose jobs are being um, eradicated because of the automation. I, I think, I think organizations should should look at people beyond just their immediate skill sets, and again, look at what have they contributed, what ideas have they come up with, how have they shown their loyalty um, to the organization or to the cause. And where can we train them or upskill them um, in this new world? And I think um, uh, we focused a little bit just now on the on the people that have skill sets, but I think uh, overall, um, looking at education from lower level grade school, we need to look at what is it educating on the right things. Um, uh, I don't know that we focus enough on uh, 
things like how do you, uh, how do you change, uh, how do you innovate? Um, uh, and you know, that's a hard concept for maybe a, a third grader, but, um, putting together, uh, courses that help people think through, uh, and not just solve problems through answer tests. Um, so looking back at our whole educational system, uh, is probably another aspect that, um, we'll have to get better at as an organization or, or we'll still keep seeing things like these boot camps, um, that have a tendency to fill some of the gaps that our education system doesn't have, doesn't provide. Yeah. There's been a, in, in, in my millennial series, there was a, there's been the discussion that, I mean, our entire education system is built on an industrial model. that's you know, a hundred, 200 years old. And, uh, and it's for this regimented rigid, rigid structure. And it's not for teaching creativity and collaboration and, and innovation which you would get more from explorative play or a Montessori education of some or something like that. So, yeah, that's right. And I, and I honestly think that our workplace and the way that we do the standard 40 hours, the standard, let's all come into the office. I, I think that's quickly becoming a deprecated model as well. Um, as if we're truly learning to work smarter and not more, um, and if we're really valuing quality over quantity, we, sh- we should be measuring and um, rewarding ourselves and compensating people differently based on results or based on a more holistic view at what they're contributing. Um, I think we should organizations should value giving people time to reset or to learn or to continue like stimulating that creative and learning part of their brain, kind of like what we talked about yesterday with a little bit of time to focus on side projects or, or just focused learning and experimentation. Um, it's so funny because I'll talk to so many technologists who live and breathe tech, um, 360 days a year. They'll work long hours with the client site on these challenging problems and then go home and write a blog post or read about something else technical, contribute to a forum. Um, but then they get burnt out and then they take these vacations and go off to like some ranch or the middle of nowhere where there's no technology, there's no service. There's not even a chance that you'll get a text and it's like, they need that reset. And I sometimes wonder, are we, are we getting worse about it? You know, are we driving ourselves into a place where it's really unsustainable? Um, when I worked in Europe for a year with ThoughtWorks, it was a really interesting juxtaposition. Everyone by European laws and UK laws had like 28 days off a vacation that they had to take. Um, and in general, people were not, raising an eyebrow when you needed to take some time off or leave early on a Friday. I think that just goes back to European and UK culture. Um, but coming back to us, it was like, I found myself just immersed right back into this culture of work, 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 work. And that's the norm. Well, yeah. And then there's another aspect to that whole thing. I mean, I don't know the statistics for the it world and it might be a, Got not getting these statistics exactly correct, but I think, I don't know, since 1978 till today, just looking at U.S. manufacturing there and the effect of automation on it, as well as outsourcing, that U.S. manufacturing is producing 130% 
or 150% or something of what it did uh, in 1978. However, wages have stagnated and the industry now employs 60% of what it did in 1978. So where has that where have the profits from all that work gone to? Have they gone, have they gone into extra vacation time for the workers? Have they gone into the salaries uh, of the, of the workers or where is that, where's that money gone with all that extra productivity? So that's also part of this, I think as well. It is. I, and if you ask me, it's going into executive pockets and, and we're seeing that reflected in the numbers on wall street. Um, but I won't go too deep down that rabbit hole. <laughs> I do want to say that, you know, organizations in Silicon Valley, like Facebook and Netflix and Google, I think, and I'm not saying they're perfect by any means, but when you look at how they treat their employees, when you look at their policies around, you know, mer- uh, parental leave for, for, um, a young family. When you look at, uh, the, some of the ways they treat vacation, I think sometimes it's actually misguided, the whole limitless vacation thing, but efforts like that, um, are good. I think in, in trying to figure out what are the workplace sort of benefits and, um, offerings that organizations can make to really improve people's quality of lives and their purpose, you know, here on this earth, not just as an employee, but as a, as a human being and how you contribute back. I think those are promising and it's organizations that are larger and more traditional are looking at Silicon Valley and saying, wow, like I can't believe they're being so bold offering a year off for uh, maternal leave. And it's kind of like, Oh, that's actually the standard in other countries and that, and that's government government policy you know it's it's not so groundbreaking it just is for our culture here um as we're doing uh, uh on the client i'm working with we're helping them with the lean enterprise kind of transformation um we're using uh, a tool um the particular tool we're using um although i know there's competitors we're using a tool called office vibe um but it it helps survey um as kind of an engage at the engagement level. Um, so how, are, how engaged are your employees on several different, um, aspects? So they look at work life balance. They look at, um, relationships with managers. They look at, are you happy with the work you're doing? Um, and, uh, asks a, a range of questions to help kind of gauge that and use that as a, as another metric on how, um, how your organization is changing as a whole. And I think that that's really helpful to kind of get that insight to um, look and look at uh, someone's involvement in your organization holistically and not just the output that they help you um, create. Hmm. And this input is, is uh, collected anonymously. Yes, it's default anonymous. Um, there's also ways that the tool can let you give, um, feedback to particular people or say, um, uh, if you want to make it not, not anonymous, it's an easy kind of switch that you can say, Hey, you know, I really need help in this area or something like that. Um, or if you want somebody to, uh, know that you gave that feedback because you want to, say you want your manager to have a conversation with you after you can make it, uh, it's opt-in, um, for, um, 
waving your hand to say this was this was from me. Cool. Cool. All right. Let me, let's end on a positive note here. <laughs> uh, Rose, what aspects of today and the foreseeable future excite or inspire you? You know, as pessimistic as sometimes the news or the media can make it seem, I still feel that overall, over time, you know, history tends to sort of reflect that we were on this bend towards the right path. Um, and that's across kind of social uh, and political and economic boundaries. But I think tech is really coming up as, or has been, um, a way to, it, it, it's like one of those things that could be a force for extreme good and also extreme evil. And to me, I think more and more I hear voices and opinions and input um, who want to use technology for good, right? And who think about automation thoughtfully and the consequences it has on people who rely on manual, more manual jobs, who think about security um, and surveillance and what it is from a privacy perspective that we should be respecting. Um, a lot of technologists I meet make it their mission, both personally and wherever possible professionally, to use their skill set for something that ultimately benefits their society. I know a lot of techies who are just, you know, passionate about these other things and find side projects or uh, ways to teach others and, and to contribute back of what they know in a very specialized and competitive field and to grow that knowledge. Um, and then along with, you know, the training programs, educational programs, I, I hope to see tech being more accessible to young people to people who haven't had that privilege in the past and that that increased diversity is going to make technology something that will benefit people as opposed to making some individuals more wealthy. So that's my thoughts on it. I, I think it comes down to the core values of people in the industry. And I think those values are in a good place. Well, that's good. That's helpful. That's optimistic. <laughs> you caught me in a good mood. <laughs> Molly, are you in a good mood? What's your take on uh, what, what excites you about uh, today and the foreseeable future? I think that despite the kind of immediate gratification, the 24-hour news cycle, the, the immediacy that's kind of in our, our culture, it does help with um, some of the larger initiatives. Um, uh, so... Apple recently um, released some metrics on on their diversity, and I think it was uh, focused on the wage gap. Um, and so, I think um, while some of that instant gratification can be detrimental, um, sometimes it's really good um, that you can also see improvements very quickly um, as people do make improvements that. Uh, it needs to be balanced with understanding that some changes take time. But um, I think what it does is allow people to, uh, the connectedness of all, all of us allows us to kind of um, work together to change, um, understand where the limitations are and, and kind of um, not put it all on the shoulders of, of the people in power, but also see that, um, 
you know, everyone can make a little bit of a difference. So uh, it kind of distributes that the, the ability to change and make, make those significant changes um, to more people. Uh, and then, and, and let society change for a whole as a better um, and, and see it faster. Interesting. Interesting. So the, the, the positive side of being overloaded with information is, uh, is that we're more and more of us are aware of what's going on. Is that another way of saying? Yeah. And can act, um, act on it. Now there's obviously a negative that can happen there too, but, um, overwhelmingly, uh, if you don't have information, um, you can't, can't, um, can't act, uh, to help correct or, or improve things. So, uh, yeah, creating those. So things like, uh, the city of Chicago, uh, has, uh, started p- partnering up with a, a meetup, um, to help distribute data. And then, um, there's been a lot of open source projects to, to show different data and that, um, and that usually those open source projects are based on what a community needs or, um, what people, uh, are interested in, um, not necessarily just what the government wants, what the data the government wants you to, to hear or how they want to, uh, you know, show that data. So, um, more transparency, more availability of data and information, um, has to be used with caution, but also gives you the benefit to be able to see trends and, and help influence it. Right. I think I saw, I think Boston has been involved with this as well. I mean, it's, it's part of the yep. smart cities initiative or something. So that they get information on, uh, traffic patterns and that they make publicly available so that private public, uh, public citizen or private citizens can go in and, and, um, and, uh, analyze the data and, and make recommendations based upon what, how the money is really being spent and that sort of thing. Yep. Then, and I think we're seeing more and more of it. That's great. That's great. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to add or something you'd like to say? I guess just thank you for having, having us on here. Um, I've, I've had fun talking about some of these, the wide varieties of topics that we've, we've kind of discussed. Well, you're, you're most welcome. I've, I've, thank you very much for, uh, for, uh, for joining me today and talking about these things. Yeah, I echo that. I think it's so cool how our conversation has, you know, it started in, in tech and agile and now it's really talking about, um, topics that are uh, a much, larger scope than that. So I think that's great. And it really shows how immersed we are in tech um, as a society today. I do want to plug shameless plug that um, (laughs) ThoughtWorks is looking to hire uh, in many of our offices. So if any listeners here are interested or um, see, can see themselves as a a consultant, uh, check out our website and you can look at our careers there. All right. Well, thank you both very much. I really enjoyed it. And um, I look forward to uh, continuing the discussion, either online or offline in the future. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.
This completes part three of this three-part conversation with Rose Fan and Molly Dishman. To read the show notes, learn more about my guests, and connect with them online, please visit agileandbeyond.co. Stay tuned for this upcoming episode. With Aaron Stadler of Boomtown Accelerator, we chatted about product discovery and massively transformative purposes. If you have any questions about this or future episodes, please share them either by visiting agileandbeyond.co or tweet me at Daniel R. Feldman. That's F as in Frank, E-L-D-M-A-N. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your social media networks and subscribe on the Agile and Beyond site. Before I go, I have one small favor to ask. Please take a moment to leave a review on the Agile and Beyond listing in iTunes. Thank you. You've been listening to Agile and Beyond. Visit agileandbeyond.co and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and other major internet radio broadcasters. Until next time, keep evolving.